we go. So we're starting a new series today called Christians with Addictions. And we're going to use this in our short group that's coming up in February. And then next season, I'm going to write a booklet that we're going to use. And I'm going to keep perfecting it over the next two years until I really feel like it's what we need here at Solid Rock. And if you're part of AA or NA or, or Celebrate Recovery, keep going to those things. Um, although you may hear me teach some things biblically that are a hair different than some of the stuff you might have heard in, in some of those meetings. Um, but this series is for any Christians. First of all, are, are y'all Christians, yes or no? Yeah. Okay, just when I didn't hear everybody, but that's okay. You're, you're in the right place, even if you're not a Christian. Um, th- that battle with things like drugs, alcohol, cigarettes, pride, pornography, people who are addicted to work, people who are addicted to money, people who are addicted to food, Sweets, negativity, social media, TikTok. Have I, have I covered everybody yet? Starbucks, <laughs> caffeine. Oh, that really got some of y'all, didn't it? <laughs> Take a note for next week. It's going to be about caffeine. Got that down there. Do you know what type of Christians struggle with addictions? The ones that are breathing. If you're breathing, there's something in your life that's been there a long time that God's trying to weed out so he can take you to the next level. And so this series is based on Psalm chapter 51, of course, um, and we're going to talk about it. And and every sermon in the series uh, starts with the letter R. Um, So if this was a, 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 if this was, if there were any pirates in the room, they would (laughs) score on the dad jokes, score. So, you know, uh, Healing looks different in different people's lives. I believe that in this series, some of you are going to be healed from an addiction where you will never have to stand up in front of a room ever again and say, my name is so-and-so, and I'm addicted to NCIS or whatever it is. You know, you're never going to say And then some of you, you're going to have, God's going to heal you in a way where you will get to, not have to, but get to rely on him every day for the rest of your life in that area so you can also help other people. So healing looks different. Also, another thing we're going to learn in this series is, no matter what your addiction, don't stop serving God. And men, we battle when we're struggling with something. We condemn ourselves so strongly, and we think, well, after I've overcome this, then I'll really do this for God. The, the, the greater the addiction, the more you should serve Jesus, okay? Because you got to focus on Jesus more than you do the addiction. That's another thing we're going to realize in this series is a lot of times when we're struggling, it's all about, I will not eat Krispy Kreme. I will not eat Krispy Kreme. I will not eat Krispy Kreme. And, oh, man, you know, and then you microwave it for three seconds and you suck it through a straw. and Oh, I just can't believe I did that. But I want to teach you to, to focus on Jesus more than the addiction, okay? So today in part one of our series, the title is this, Recognize. Recognize. There's R's all through Psalm 51. Recognize, renew, restore, it's all in there. Um, One of the greatest things we battle is, is going through life never facing the truth about who we are. Never facing what's really going on on the inside. Uh, there are Christians, they're so good at seeing the speck in everybody else's eye, and they have no idea there's a giant log coming out of their eye. And when you barely mention something about it, they make every excuse in the world. It's my parents' fault, it's my boss's fault, it's my kids' fault, on and on it goes. And and, and you wonder, well, how come you can't pay your bills? Could it be the gambling problem you have? No, it's not that, it can't be that. Well, how come come you can't lose weight? It's my metabolism. It's not the Krispy Kremes you eat every other day. It's not the the Dunkin' Donuts on the way to work. No, it's not that. It's just my metabolism. And it's like they make every single excuse rather than saying, you know what, I recognize I have a problem and I need Jesus. 
Isn't that why we come to church every Sunday? Because we got problems? So Psalm chapter 51, it talks about King David who had an affair with Bathsheba and he committed adultery. He got her pregnant. And so then he got her husband murdered. He had her husband murdered because of this. And then he was condemned for about nine months of his life. Uh, some things I want you to see about Psalm 51 before we get into it is this. First one is, is this happened to King David. Everybody say king. king. It didn't happen to Shepherd David. It didn't happen to military Captain David. It happened to after he already got to that great level that he's always wanted to get to and God was using him in an amazing way, and that's when he fell. So don't ever have this perception of people in great positions of authority or leadership, and you're shocked that they fall when they get to that. The higher the level, the higher the devil. The more you're going to be tempted. See, I, I think, I personally think it's so much easier in the shepherd's fields. It's so much easier when there, was, when there was 20 people in church. It was so much easier. And then 600 people came to church a few weeks ago in our two services. And it, it just keeps, it, and, and the greater the, the responsibility, the greater the temptation. Of course, that's how the devil works. We're not blind to that, right? So King David, he falls, and then he condemns himself for nine months. He doesn't write a single song, and he was an incredible writer. Not and, he, and he, 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 this anointing wasn't in his life, not because of the sin, because he didn't recognize it. Sin isn't what destroys us. Jesus took care of the sin. It's when we don't deal with it properly. And so, um, so finally his friend Nathan comes. Nathan was a prophet. And Nathan says, dude, you got, you got something going on, man. There's a problem going on in your life. We all need a Nathan. Now, we all love to be the Nathan. Right? You love to be the one that says, you know, I need to talk to you about something. I recognize there's something going on in your life that just isn't good. We love to be that person, right? We love to do that. But we all need a Nathan in our life. Someone that loves us enough not to condemn us, but they love us enough to come to us and approach us and say, I think God's got something really good for you. Is there some way I can help you overcome in this area? Right? So Psalm 51, David falls. Finally, Nathan comes to him. And David's, and this could be the point where David fades off into the sunset. This great shepherd turned military might, turned king, and now he makes a mistake, doesn't deal with it. He rides on his horse. We see him fade off, you know, like the old cowboy movies. But he decided one day to get on his knees and say something to God. And he said this in Psalm 51, 1 through 4, Wash me from my iniquity. We're going to talk about that in a little bit. Um, blot out my transgression. Wash away my evil. Cleanse me from my sin. And here's the title of our sermon. For I recognize my faults and my sin is before me. Here's what he was saying. And I love this. It wasn't Bathsheba's fault. Now, yes, she was bathing on the roof of her. What kind of woman carries her bathtub up to the roof of her house and gets in it right in front of the king's, you know, what, what, kind, of, let me, what kind of woman puts half-naked pictures of herself on Instagram every other day? Like, what, what would you, there's only one reason you're doing it. You're trying to attract something. Yet David said, it wasn't her fault. I made this choice. We love to blame, but the reason I'm in a bad mood is because my boss wasn't treating me right. No, the reason you're in a bad mood is because you chose to be in a bad mood. Well, the reason I look at pornography is because my wife ignores me. No, you chose to look at that. Now, yes, if she didn't ignore you, it would help, and she could help you with that struggle, but you still made the choice. You made the choice. And so David says, hey, it's all me, and I recognize it's me. And that's the beginning of healing in all of our lives. So I have an analogy I want to use for you, an illustration, and then we'll get into our three points. And um, this didn't go over very well in the first service, so let me just warn you ahead of time. Um, so let me tell you where this came from. So my mom, I love my mom. My mom loves me. She loves to give me advice on my sermons after I've already preached it. And so 
Last week she said, honey, you talking about Adam up there like a monkey digging in his rear end. You can't talk about that stuff. People, that's gross. You can't do that anymore. So one of my addictions is I'm rebellious. And so when my mom says you can't do something, because I'm 43, mom, I think in my head, how can I do what she told me not to, to the biggest degree I possibly can, right? So she said, you can't be gross. So I thought, what's the grossest illustration I can possibly come up with? So I was walking my dogs this morning, and, um, and lo and behold, I was praying for an illustration, and right there, just landed right there in front of me. And so, so imagine going to somebody's house. Well, hold on. I was going to use, hold on. I was going to use the fake stuff. I was going to use the fake stuff, but I said, you know what? I'm going all the way. If I'm going to do it, everything I do, I go all the way, right? I don't take, I don't. So, so imagine going to somebody's house. And right in the middle of their living room, hold on a second. <coughs> Let's just leave it closed for a second. I'm going to their living room, and you see a pile of, and, and, it's, and it's, you know, scrap, and it's on there on the floor. And they say, would you like some coffee? I'd like some coffee, but do you see? And here's the thing. They don't have any pets either. They don't have no pets. This person has no pets. And so, maybe a gerbil, whatever. It would actually feel better. And so, um... <laughs> And so you say, well, I can smell something. And, and they say this, it's, it's been there forever. No big deal. Don't even worry about it. Would you like some biscuits with your coffee? You know, I really need you to deal with this. You know what's funny about addictions? Everybody in your life can see it in your heart except for you. It, it, our heart deceives us. And so you go in the living room. <laughs> oh, my God. Oh, my God. I'm just kidding. <laughs> I'm just kidding. It's Play-Doh. Give me my Play-Doh back. It's Play-Doh. Mom, it's Play-Doh. Give me, give me my, give me my Play-Doh. Give me my Play-Doh. I promise it's Play-Doh. Look, I'll lick it. It's Play-Doh. I think one of my sons switched it out in the middle of service. I'm just kidding. I'm just kidding. That was an early Mother's Day present from my mom, okay? So, so you go in somebody's house. I'm just going to preach now. I don't even know what to say. Until I recognize my sin, I'll never be healed from my addiction. And everybody can see it except for you, right? I mean, your parents have been saying this to you for 20 years. Your spouse brings it up every now and then. And you get so defensive and you make so many excuses. Could it be that God has been sending Nathans in your life? To get the crap out of your heart. Just to take you to the... It's not like God's trying to hurt you. He's trying to heal you. But the first step to victory is to recognize you need to be healed. Okay? Three points for you today. They all start with the letter H. First point is this. Honesty. In verse 6, David said in Psalm 51, You desire truth in the inner being. In my inmost heart, you will give me wisdom. The hardest people for a pastor to pastor is people that are not honest. And, and, you know, we're, we're looking to hire some more full-time people over the next year or two. And, um, and, and everyone wants to tell me about their talents and gifts. I don't care about your talents and gifts. I care about your heart. Because you can be so talented, so gifted, but we say, hey, we need you to, if you could do this and there. No, I don't need to do that. I do it my way. Well, you know, it seems like you have a problem. I don't have a problem. No, no, no. And it's like, dude, come on. Isn't the reason that we come together on Sundays because every one of us have issues God wants to deal with? It's like me visiting you in the hospital. You're, you're in ICU. You got tubes everywhere. Your eyes not working. Half your lungs collapsed. Your legs twitching. I say, what's wrong? And you say, nothing's wrong with me. I don't know why they have me here. 
And that's what it's like for a lot of Christians. We come to church year after year, and there's no change because we're never honest. We never come to God and say, I'm broken, I'm messed up, I'm full of pride. I need you to do something. I don't want to keep living like this. In John chapter 5, there was a man, uh, the Bible says he was crippled by the pool of Bethesda. Everybody say Bethesda. But Bethesda, if you know, it means church. It means the, the house of mercy, the house of the Lord. It's an actual true story, what I'm going to tell you, but it is also a, a representation of church at the same time. And so he's laying by the pool, and, for, and, and this pool was like a neighborhood pool, and, and an angel would come unannounced every year, and when it, the angel would stir up the waters, the first person in the pool would be healed. It was like winning the lottery in this area. It was an amazing, miraculous place. And it says in John 5, 5, there was a certain man who had a deep-rooted and lingerie disorder. Oh, my bad. It says lingering disorder. But wouldn't that be funny because it's kind of spilled. This. I'm the only one who thinks that's funny every time I read that. Poor dude had a lingerie disorder. God help him, you know. Lingering disorder for 38 years. Now, whether he was crippled physically or whether he was crippled emotionally, he came to church for 38 years and never changed. How could you be in a location where miracles occur, where wisdom is given, where God shows up and nothing happens to you? And week after week, you're the same person, year after year, the same person, going through the same problems, same results in life. Why is that? Here's why in verse 6, Jesus said to him, do you really want to be well? Are, are, are you here for people to feel sorry for you? Are you here to use these problems as a crutch or an excuse? Or do you really want change in your life? And he never said, yes, Jesus, I want to be healed. In verse 7, he said this, I don't have anybody to put me in the pool when the water stirred. I try to get in, but it's somebody else's fault. It's always someone else. It's always someone. The reason I have a bad attitude is because of them. The reason I'm poor is because of my parents. The reason I'm sick is because of this. It's always somebody else doing something to me. It can't be me. And Jesus never said, you know what, I'm going to heal you anyway. He actually said in verse 8, I think he was saying, there's nothing wrong with you. Get up and be a productive member of society. Get up and serve Jesus. Get up and go on with life. Stop focusing on the disorder. Stop focusing on the deep-rooted problem. Stop focusing on the addiction and get on with your life. Serve Jesus. Do something. Stop laying around with no change. You got problems. You need Jesus. Get up and live. I think, I think that's what he was saying. Um, James 5, 16 says this. Confess your faults one to another and pray so you can be healed. Now, there's a lot of former Catholics, of course, that come to our church. And I think that Catholics have an incredibly awesome, amazing idea. And they do something that is so healthy, they just do it for the wrong reason. When they confess their sins to a priest, they think it's to be forgiven. That's unbiblical. You confess to Jesus to be forgiven. Well, just like David. David didn't say, I'm sorry to Bathsheba. He didn't say, I'm sorry to Nathan, who brought it before him. He said, God, you're the one. That, he said, you, you alone have I sinned against. It was all about you, Jesus. But, but Catholics, they do that. to con So you, don't, you, you confess to Jesus to be forgiven. However, confessing your faults is an amazing, healthy thing you can do to bring them to light. And here's what the Bible says. You can start the healing process. It's basically saying if you'll verbally recognize you got a problem, that starts all the healing right there. What's Jesus going to do in your life if you come to church every Sunday wearing a mask like you're a perfect little spiritual giant and we should all look to you and you're so great? What in the world is he going to do with you? We don't need you. We got Jesus. We, we need people with problems to come here and come together and help one another, not, not show off how great they are, right? So um, 
counselors, they, I've had so many counselors in my life, and it's a very healthy thing to have counselors. And um, this past one I've had for about three years, I guess, now three years. And counselors, when I go to them, they, they hate me at first. They despise me. Then after the first you know, hour session, they love me after that. The reason they don't like me at first is, and if you're a counselor, I'm not um, dissing you. I'm just kind of making a joke. But the first 15 sessions of counseling um, is everybody talking about everybody else, right? Well, how's it, tell me about your life. Well, here's how my parents did me wrong. That's like three sessions. There's $300 down the drain. And then my boss doesn't treat me right. There's another $125 right there. And see, I'm cheap. I'm not cheap. I'm very frugal. And so I go to the counselor and I say, I got problems. It's me. Here's what I've done. Here's what I thought. Here's what I don't want to be like. I need your wisdom so that I can go in a different path. And they're like, man, we just lost $2,000 off of you. <laughs> and we expect you to spend the first 15 sessions talking about everybody else. And it's the devil's fault. And they may be not. And you come to say, you got. See, that, that, that's, that's really. And then by the 16th session, you're finally like, wait a minute. I've. I seem to be the, the common denominator in every single problem I have. I moved to a different city, but I still got the same problems. I bought a different house, I still got the same problems. I'm on my third relation, I still got the same problems. I'm my kid, I still got, could, could, could I be the problem? And the counselor's like, okay, now we can start healing in life. I can only be healed in the areas that I recognize I'm sick. And I'll tell you this, you can't get away from you. You can get away from a lot of people, you can't get away from you. Point number two is this heritage. I think it's important that we recognize that some of the things we may struggle with could be things we did see growing up. Now, this is not an excuse, but it's an explanation. I'll teach you next week and the week after that an excuse is, is saying, hey, this is why and I don't want to change. An explanation is saying, this may be why, but it's not going to keep me here. I'm not staying by the pool of Bethesda for 38 years. I'm going to get up and go forward. So it's not an excuse, but it is an explanation. Deuteronomy 5, 9, and 10, the iniquity, the inner sins, of the fathers can visit the children of the third and fourth generation, but I show mercy and love to those who obey me up to a thousand generations. The word iniquity is basically this, an inward bent or motivation of continued disobedience. In other words, it could be that there's crap in your heart because growing up there was crap in your living room. It could be that, that you know, how many kids struggle with eating disorders because the parents don't want to obey God and have self-control? How many, um, how many uh, children, how many, how many of you are struggling with um, uh, attitudes? And you grew up thinking, I'll never be like my mom. I'll never do this. I'll never. And then you find yourself doing the very same thing you kept saying you would never do, right? At, all because it got passed down. Um, I was reading about this, this, this mother dog that, that had puppies on the inside of her. She was just a few weeks from giving birth. And she was running across the street. She didn't have an owner. And a car ran over her, her back legs. And the car just kept on going. And so the, the mom dog, she, she took her two front paws and she pulled herself out of the street, lay there for a while. Her legs ended up healing, but they were never set, reset from the vet. They were never, you know, taken care of. And so they were very stiff. Her joints hurt. So for the remainder of her life, she would always just crawl on her front legs, dragging herself. Well, within a few days, somebody adopted her. They brought her in. They took care of her. And within a few weeks, the little puppies were born. Uh, they seemed fine, healthy. Everything was okay. Until about three weeks old, the owners noticed that all the puppies were walking on their first two legs and dragging their back legs behind them. And they thought, maybe the puppies got hit in the accident. Maybe that's what happened. So they took them to the vet. The vet checked them out and said, there's absolutely nothing wrong with these puppies. They're perfectly fine 
and healthy. Here was the problem. They were watching how their mom walked and began to walk the same way. You don't have to walk the same way your parents walked. You know, there's, there's nothing wrong with your back legs. So many times in life, we see it modeled before us. We think it's the norm. It's not the norm. Your parents might have dragged their legs. Your grandparents might have dragged their legs. There's nothing wrong with your legs. You know, one time uh, God told the Israelites he was about to take them into their promised land. He said, you can't go in here until you deal with the iniquity that's going on with your parents and yourself. And here's why. You know, God can take you to your promised land, but if your heart's still messed up, you'll lose it. And you know, it's so funny. People all the time praying for things in their life. Why is not this happening? Why is not this happen? If God did make it happen, don't you realize if you're not healed from that deep-rooted disorder, you're going to lose the very thing that you've been praying and asking God to give you? And so in Leviticus 26, 39, he told him this, you're going to die because of this iniquity. And here's the grace of our God. But if you'll do this, if you'll verbally recognize that you have this problem on the inside and that your parents even had this problem, here's where it's coming from. Iniquity and the iniquity of your fathers. I'll keep the covenant I made with Abraham and I'll bless your land. In other words, God's saying, I don't want you to get in your promised land and be dealing with crap that your parents dealt with, that your grandparents dealt with, and it's been passed along. I want you to get in the place and be renewed and start over and have a fresh heart so that all the good things I bring to you, you'll be able to keep in your future. You know, the, there's a famous writer, Ernest Hemingway. If you ever, he's one of the greatest writers of his day. In 1961, I believe it was, in 1961, he was battling horrible depression. Very, very sad. And he never told anybody about it. And he ended up committing suicide. Five years later, Ernest Hemingway's brother was feeling very sad, depressed, lonely, never told anyone, and he took his own life. <clears throat> Sixteen years later, Ernest Hemingway's sister took her own life. In 1996, Ernest Hemingway's granddaughter, who was a supermodel, popular, famous, rich, everything you think you'd want on the outside, she started getting real sad and depressed, never told anyone, and she committed suicide. What's so interesting about this family line is in 1928, Ernest Hemingway's dad got real sad, got real depressed, took his own life. Little did he know that his two sons, his daughter, his great-granddaughter, all that would happen to them. Here's my question. What if in the 1920s, when Hemingway's dad started feeling really depressed, things going on in his mind, what if he thought, man, I need to get in church. I need to talk to God about this. I need to find some wise doctors. There's somebody maybe that can help me, that I can confess this to, bring this to light. I wonder what would have changed in the whole family line if the one man back in the 20s had recognized it and began to deal with it. And if you don't deal with some of the things that are inside, do you know what's going to, a hundred years from now, what's going to happen to your bloodline? They're going to look back and say, man, if great, great, great so-and-so back in 2023 had just listened to that sermon, just recognized what was going on, how our whole life would have changed. Psalm 16, 5 says this, Lord, you alone are mine. I love that he says, you alone. He's saying, you know, I don't want nothing from anybody but you. If it ain't from you, I don't want it. Lord, you alone are my inheritance. You guard all that is mine. My heritage is from the Lord. Point number three, heart. David said in verse 10, and you're going to hear a lot of this in this series. I'm going to repeat a lot of it, but Psalms 51.10, Create in me a clean heart, O God. Every single thing that you're going through right now has come from your heart. 
Everything that you're going to get in life, good or bad, is going, to come, is going to come out of your heart. I was thinking about this, and I think that everyone here, I think we all have two lives. I think we have an outer life that um, is the fruit of our decisions, the people we're in relationship with. Whatever, it's, it's like our Facebook life, right? And you know as well as I do, Facebook's, it should be called fake book. But anyway, our outer life, that's, that's what everybody sees. But then we have this inner life. It's our heart. It's made up of our motives, our attitudes, our thoughts. And nobody knows that except for you and God. And if you're lucky enough to have somebody you can be completely transparent with. But, you know, even then our own heart deceives us. But no one sees really that inner life. And we think because we're, and, and Christians are the best at it, we think that we can put on a mask and we can fake it. You can only fake it for so long. Sooner or later you're going to get the very thing that's, coming from the inside of you. Proverbs 4.23 says this, Guard your heart with all diligence, for out of your heart flows every single issue you're going to face for the rest of your life. Not out of your spouse's heart, not out of your neighbor's heart, not out of your pastor's heart, but your heart. I read about this guy. He was a farmer. He had a horse that he really loved, and one day the horse kicked the wooden fence that had surrounded their property. And the, 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 it was bleeding and bad, so the, the owner, he bandaged up the wound and took care of it. But it kept bleeding. He thought, oh, that's weird. And the horse was getting really irritated. So he called the vet, and the vet sent him some antibiotics. And he gave the horse antibiotics, and the horse was okay for a week or two and came off the antibiotics and then um, started irritating him again. So he called the vet again. The vet sent stronger antibiotics. This time the horse was okay for a month and a half. Doing fine. They take him off the antibiotics. Once again, the leg starts to, the wound's not really healing, and the horse is irritated. So the owner called the base and said, listen, I'll pay whatever it takes. I love my horse. I'll do whatever it takes. I, I demand that you see him and figure out what's wrong. So they loaded the horse up, took him to the vet. They put him under anesthesia. And when they opened up the wound and got real deep in there, they discovered a chunk of wood that was buried on the inside of the horse's leg that you couldn't see on the outside. The antibiotics were treating the symptoms, but they weren't getting to the root problem. And, you know, Christians were really good about dealing with the symptoms, right? We're going to try to be good, try not to look at this, try to not say that. I will, I will not look at porn. I will not look at porn. I will not look at porn. I will not cuss out my neighbor. I will not cuss out whatever you, you know. And then we do it again. We think, here's the problem. You're not letting Jesus take care of the root. You're not letting him heal the very foundation of your life. Jeremiah 17, 9 through 10 says this, our heart deceives us. Above everything else, heart sees, and it's eternally sick. You know what? That's okay, because here's the good news. Jesus did not come for the righteous. The Bible says he came for the sick, right? He came for, he came for us. Here, watch this. But I, the Lord, I get to the heart. Um, I'm about to close. I'm going to do a little theological thing. But before I do, I want to teach you a, a, a phrase that I pray on a regular basis. This phrase is very, very special to me, so I want it to be very, very special to you. I started this about a decade ago, and it, 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 this is a prayer. When you pray this prayer, it's very, very simple. It works every single time if you pray it sincerely. God answers it every single time, okay? I tried to think of a good quip or a joke or a story to really help you get it. Couldn't think of nothing. So I want you to really love it, and, and if you don't, I want you to pretend. Pretend, because we're talking about pretending. Just pretend that you love it, okay? The phrase is this, Lord, show me my heart. And show me your heart. The reason I pray this is because sometimes I think that my heart lines up with his and I'm doing good until I pray and ask. 
you know, sometimes as, as a pastor, sometimes I feel like I'm walking on water. Man, and, I, and, if, and, and if you're sick, I'll pray for you, and you'll be healed right when I pray it. And I'll just, and I, I, I just feel, I just, yeah. And then other times, I feel like I'm drowning, and I can barely get an air, you know, a breath, just to grab some air and then go back underwater because I'm just a horrible, horrible person. But no matter what state I'm in, even when I think I'm doing awesome, I say, Lord, show me my heart. And, show me right. and my heart every time is over here, and his heart is always over here. And my prayer is never to try to get his heart to line up with mine. Although that would be very cool. Um, the prayer is always, uh, I need my heart to line up with yours. Show me my heart. Oh, am I really that prideful? Show me your heart. You really love me that much anyway? Show me my heart. Am I really that selfish? Show me your heart. You can heal me of this? Show me my heart. Oh, my goodness. Am I really thinking those thoughts about that person? You know, I just told him it was good to see him in church. Was I really thinking how much I hate him? And it was the 920 service, by the way. And then I said, Lord, show me your heart. And then, okay. So you see how it goes. Okay. Pray it'll work. Here's what I want to close with. An iniquity, and we talked about it, is an inward sin. Right? It's what we're talking about now. It's the heart, the attitude, the motive. It's, it's hatred, bitterness, lust. You can look at someone in lust, and nobody knows you're filled with lust except for you and God. Right? It's the inner, inner bent. You, you understand that. Transgression for your notes, that is the outward sin, the action, the words, the movement. It's when you cuss somebody out or when you overeat or when you do drugs. It's the outward thing, right? The Pharisees, which were the religious people of Jesus' day, the religious people of Jesus' day, they had this ideology on, as long as I don't transgress, I'm doing okay. You know, as long as I don't punch them in the face, I can hate them. As long as I don't speak negatively, I can still be filled with racism. As long as I don't have sex, I can still lust. It, they, they had this, and Jesus came in and he blew their ideology completely out of the water. He, he basically told them over and over and over and over again, it is just as bad if you do it on the outside as it is if you do it on the inside. Matthew 23, 27, woe to you. I love, he's, he's basically saying, woe to you religious churchgoers. And in the same sentence he says, pretenders and hypocrites. You're, Jesus always was trying to make friends. I love that about him. He was always trying to win friends and influence people so well. You are like white graves, which outwardly, we all think you're beautiful. You're so spiritual. You pray so well. We think you got it all together. Oh, if I could be like you. But he said this, on the inside, you're full of death. On the inside, you're full. Of, you know, I also want to tell you this because, you know, we, we judge addicts so strongly. But some of y'all got crap all on the inside. But your mask has been on for so long and we just don't see it. Aren't you glad you invited your friend to church today to sit next to you? I'm so glad I brought you to church today. You needed this, didn't you? So, Psalm 103.12 says this. He will not punish us according to our iniquities. Thank Jesus. As far as the east is from the west, so far as he removed our transgressions from us. Okay, I don't want you to leave here condemned. Now, here's my last scripture. Is the Bible perfect yes or no yes is jesus perfect yes or no yes isaiah 53 5 he was wounded for our transgressions he was bruised for our iniquities he took the punishment we deserve and by his stripes it says not we're going to be we are healed okay what a wound is when you bleed on the outside a bruise is when you bleed on the inside 
He bled on the outside for every transgression we would do on the outside. And he bled on the inside for every iniquity, thought, selfish motive, everything we would ever do on the outside. He was the perfect sacrifice. And if you will simply recognize you need him, he can start the healing process in your life. Amen. Amen.